The Protect Your Neck Podcast. UFC Auckland Preview and Top 5 Featherweight Wars with special guest Daniel Levy. Hot air hangs like a dead man from a white oak tree. People sitting on porches thinking how things used to be. Dark night. It's a dark night. What is up, you savages? This is the Protect Your Neck Podcast, and I am your host, Dan Tom, analyst and writer for MixedMartialAnalyst.com. And today we have a double for your trouble episode. That's right, we're doing top five and a preview, as I'll explain why in a second. But first, let me introduce my guest who's going to help me with the preview and as well as the top five. That's right, you may have heard him on this on this podcast before for the top five underdogs a very useful episode if you've been paying attention but it's my man daniel levy at best fight picks what's up daniel man i'm doing amazing i'm so stoked to be back on here with you love the work you do you already know that and dude I get to talk about my favorite fight of all time on the Protect Your Neck podcast, so let's do it, man. That's perfect because you get to talk about your favorite fight of all time, but the topic in general, which by the way, me and Daniel don't know each other's lists, um, there probably will be crossover, and as you know, that's that's perfectly okay with our format here on the Protect Your Neck podcast, but uh, of all the top five, Daniel, there's about two that are on my top favorite lists, and... I, it's probably better that I just get them out of the way now because they'll probably seep out and I'll spoil it because one of them was top five welterweight wars and I already slipped the last episode and gave one of those up. So I'm like, you know, when you said you know you were down for the top five featherweight wars, I was like, that's awesome because this one is number one on my theme list. So it's a real special one. I'm glad I get to unpack it with you, my friend. Oh, man, I'm stoked. And yeah, we're going to get down to business because, I mean, I, I want to, you know, revisit the WEC, some older UFCs. Let's do this, man. Absolutely. But first, we're going to preview UFC Auckland. And the reason why I say preview as opposed to breakdown, uh, in case you're not following me on Twitter, where I posted some disclaimers this week. And also, well, even if you're listening to this podcast, I kind of warned you about it last week. Old Dan Tom was going to take this week off. I looked at this card, and you know me. I'm not trying to hate on this card or any card. If anybody's an optimist and can find reason for hope, it's me. But I figured, you know what, with with 10 fight cards in 11 weeks, this was the one card where, where Dan Tom should get a break. And you know what? I ended up writing up the main event anyways and researching the main card. I may have you know more write-ups to add by morning, but I'm actually going to be putting a spotlight with some picks. I'm going to be avoiding bets, though, so I'm going to put those disclaimers on my breakdown. But yes, there is no formal breakdown for me because, again, I pride myself with the hours that I put in. But if I don't put it in, I'm going to be very honest with you, and I did not put that in for this card. In fact, um, I can only really talk educated about the main card, which we're going to talk here Good news is not only is my guest well-prepared and know all his stuff, but his aforementioned show, Daniel, you're going to have a chance to plug all your stuff at the end, but I'm going to go ahead and plug plug for you right now. You follow him at Best Fight Picks on Twitter. There's a link to his website where that hosts the show Half the Battle where he interviews fighters, fighters who are relevant, actually going to be upcoming fighters on the fights that we are talking, breaking down, and betting on, and of course some of the best breakdowns in the game where he covers now fantasy angles, and he's always had the betting and technical angles different perspectives you know um your man at the mma genius over there Mar- uh, uh, mr marley they're doing the fantasy I'll, I'll, let, I'll let you speak more to that but uh but please if you want the in-depth goods uh daniel is, is that where they can find you did i get it right 
Yeah, man. Best Fight Picks on Twitter, bestfightpicks.com. My show is half the battle. It's everywhere that you can find a podcast. Appreciate the kind words, man. And I mean, we're just out here grinding, working hard, and trying to cash some bets. Absolutely. Not only do, you know, and not bullshitting, is, you know, he one of the most consistent guys, but he's more consistent than me. Look at my ass. Even with my haphazard week, he's over there grinding away. So please, I had to give this man his due. And uh, we're going to celebrate by doing our top five, uh, 45. Uh, Wars after we break down UFC Auckland. So let's just start from, let's do it the juicy. Let's, why don't we start from the top, man, with the main event for UFC Auckland. Um, we got Derek Lewis, who opened, and I believe still is the favorite here, against Mark Hunt, you know, slight underdog. I saw him at plus 110 earlier. Now he's plus 115 on dimes. And then, of course, the minus 135, like I said, favorite Derek Lewis. Uh, Daniel, why don't you set this fight up with your takes, and I'll, I'll, uh, I'll join in with mine. It's an interesting fight because, I mean, anytime you got the legend Mark Hunt in there, it's guaranteed excitement. Unless he's fighting a dude that just wants to lay on him like Brock. But we, we won't talk about that because we know the Black Beast ain't about to do that kind of thing. Right. But, you know, my thing with this fight, man, is that, you know, I've heard a lot of people talking about how, you know, yeah, Derek is on this win streak. But he's, you know, looked like shit in a lot of those fights. And, yes, this is true, but he has found a way to win. And that's all that matters when you're trying to bet on someone, right? And with Mark Hunt, you can be like, well— you know, he's looked really good in some of his losses. Like that fight with War Doom, he went out there and dropped him twice. And I'm like, okay, but if you bet on Mark Hunt there, you would have lost. And, you know, there's another thing coming into this fight is that Mark Hunt's suing the UFC. You know, he's coming in here trying to get a 750K paycheck, which I don't blame him at all, man. I'd take as many of those as possible, right? You know, and that's why he didn't take any time off after that Alistair Overeem, you know, knee to the face, then face to the ground. That was just, that was a vicious knockout. Took zero time off. I mean, he's coming in for a paycheck. It's pretty obvious what he's doing here. You know, maybe he catches the Black Beast with a leaping left hook. Maybe he sets up the uppercut with the 1-3. If he does that, you know, much respect. But what I think is really going to happen is, you know, Derek Lewis, he's going to circle around the octagon very slowly. You know, he might take a couple shots up front, but eventually I think he's going to take down Mark Hunt, get on top of him, and pound him out. So we'll see what happens. But, yeah, I, I would go with Derek Lewis in this spot, man. I don't I don't blame you. Derek Lewis is my initial lean, and in my breakdown, you know, again, here's the, here's the, here's the, the, the caveat I can say right off the bat. I, I, there's some fighters you just have bad track records in picking. Derek Lewis is one of them. But what, what I will say is where I agree with you is he fights from a deficit. And like I just said, I'm, I'm somebody who really appreciates somebody that can come back from adversity. And at the heavyweight division, there's not a lot of guys that can do that. And he's proven that he can. The problem was when I was looking more into the footage, I just still can't. Maybe it's the, the same thing that kind of leads me to pick, to pick to him in these matches against strikers where... You know, Derek Lewis says to himself, it's the guys that want to grapple him that he usually does well against because those guys tire themselves out. And Derek Lewis, you know, uh, can explode to his feet so well. He's good at tripoding up. And uh, the thing is, Mark Hunt has kind of experienced the same things. You know, he struggled the same areas and he's faced a lot of those same matchups, obviously on a bigger level, more of a legend's name level than Derek Lewis. Nevertheless, Derek Lewis has been able to come back and put together a six fight win streak. But again, against strikers, there's just so many openings when he throws. That really bothered me. That said, Derek Lewis's underrated defense, not just percentage-wise as far as striking defense, he's actually up in the top, I, want, I dare say top five heavyweight statistics as far as like striking avoidance. And if you look, he's he's pretty athletic. He'll, he'll use that trunk movement and kind of move around to get, get uh, to get around shots. Uh, so I think his defense is much better than people give him credit for. He's shown he can circle around the cage, you know, and counter pretty, pretty, pretty well for a heavyweight right of his size the problem is it's when he attacks is where i see the problems that's where i see mark hunt's counter left hook kind of just coming in coming into play here usually i would say mark hunt off the break that's where i saw mark hunt um possibly hitting over him even though i picked over him in that fight um this is opposite i see mark hunt 
be, being able to do more well with a guy coming in like Derek Lewis. Problem is, if he doesn't get that, or God forbid somehow Derek Lewis gets him to the ground, which I believe the wrestling is the wild card here, then Mark Hunt could be in trouble. But considering most guys, like both guys, like Turtle, kind of get back to their feet, I see it being decided on the feet, which means, you know, risk it your own will. I, my breakdown, you know, I'll explain it more, and you'll see my, my, my official pick there, which is Hunt. Uh, but again, there's no confidence in it. I mean, I, I explain this. Uh, I compare this, Daniel, to like a, a cruel form of masturbation, betting on heavyweight fights like this, you know. <laughs> but since Mark Hunt is my pick and he is the dog, I did pull out a little bit, not a lot, just a little bit of lotion. Maybe one of those Curel travel pack size, we'll just say, okay. I, I pulled out a little bit for this one. But just, 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 just to keep it fun and interesting, I don't suggest anybody jump off the Mark Hunt cliff with me. Because the one thing that sticks in my head is something that my man Daniel champions here. It's those life-changing KOs and coming back within six months of them. And Mark Hunt is well within that. And that's, that, 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 that worries me. And rightfully so, man. I mean, this is the fight game. You know, there's only so many of those shots you can take. I know that he comes from that Samoan background. Those dudes can take a shot like no one's business. That's something that you've talked about many times. Right. Uh, the dude's got a, an iron chin, but he's also been knocked out a hundred times, right? So mm-hmm. don't be don't be surprised if it happens here. Another thing about Lewis, I know he is a bit sloppy. He does get hurt early, but dude's got a lot of confidence. I mean, you saw that fight with Big Country. He's going out there throwing double flying knees, and you remember that shot he landed with the last ten seconds of the third round, and oh my that goodness. spit goes flying all over the place. Like the dude can crack. You know what I'm saying? It's just the dudes that that try to take him down and lay on him that he has trouble with. I know Travis Brown, you know, kicked him in the stomach early, but hey, man, it, it happens. You know, Travis Brown also kicked uh, Alistair Overeem in the face that one time, you know? This is the heavyweight division, yeah. man. These dudes are going to get hurt. And maybe, you know, maybe uh, Mark Hunt goes out there and knocks out Derek Lewis. That's not going to surprise me one bit, but since I have to make a pick, right, aren't, aren't I going to go with the guy that wins most of the time over the guy that loses most of the time? You know what I'm saying? Because, like, Mark Hunt, he's a legend. He's exciting, but he's also a 500 fighter. That, that means he loses every other fight. You're 100% right. And if anybody is siding, you know, with Hunt, just look at my record at picking Derek Lewis fights, and you'll see it's very terrible. So, again, I'm not, I, uh, I'm not too confident on this one. And, and excellent, excellent points there, my man. Let's move on to the co-main event, uh, which is, oh, speaking of top five underdog episodes, our man Daniel Kelly versus Derek Brunson. Dan Kelly... As usual, underdog at plus 240 with minus 280 as the favorite for Mr. Derek Brunson. Uh, Daniel, you mind kicking us off again for this one, dude? I might be wrong on this one, man, but unless Dan Kelly is fighting Robert Whitaker or Yoel Romero, no chance in hell I ever pick against him. You know what I'm saying, man? This guy is a winner in every sense of the word. And, you know, it's not just a feel-good story anymore, man. I mean, this guy's in the top 15 now. He's got a win over a legend in Rashad. And, you know, you can make the argument that Rashad's at the tail end. But, look, for Rashad to make 185 pounds, he had to take that shit extremely seriously. You yes. saw how how shredded he was out there. And not only that, you know, we talk about a diminished fighter, so we might talk about his chin. But Dan Kelly, I mean, it wasn't just that he was rocking him with straight lefts. I mean, he took down. Rashad, which you know that one doesn't simply do that, man. And especially, you know, a judo guy. I know I know a wrestler in Bader did, but for a judo guy to do it against a wrestler, that that's a statement, man. And with Derek Brunson, you know, obviously when he was on that four fight win streak when he was starching everybody, confidence was sky high. But I feel like like Brunson kinda has the Vitor Belfort thing going where He's kind of a bully. He's got that bully mentality, and if he knows he can get you out of there early, you know he's going to be riding high with confidence. You remember that Uriah Hall fight? He's trolling him on social media throughout the entire buildup. You know he had an edge in that fight, but Robert Whitaker put him in a place, put him in his place in a way where. 
He's, he, he was never the same ever again because he gets this chance against Anderson Silva. And this isn't prime Anderson Silva. This isn't Matrix Anderson Silva. This is 41-year-old dad bod post-USADA post-Marcos from Thailand Anderson Silva. And Derek Brunson goes out there kind of like he did against Chris Lieben and just stared at him for three rounds. You know, tried to play it safe. The, the takedowns were from a mile away. The blitz was gone. So I don't think Derek Brunson's right mentally. And, you know, it's funny because one guy is way better, you know, in terms of being a physical athlete, being a specimen. We know Brunson's that guy. And one guy's way better in terms of the mental fortitude. And nine times out of ten, I favor mental fortitude over your physical capabilities all day. So I got the mentally tough guy here and Dan Kelly. If he gets past this first round, I think he'll go out there and break Derek Brunson. But it's a huge if, man, because that blitz by Brunson, even if you know it's coming, sometimes you can't stop it, man. You know what I'm saying? But at this point, the way Rob Whitaker exposed it, and I know Rob's a once-in-a-lifetime athlete, and Dan Kelly is, you know, he's not the kind of athlete that Rob is, even though Dan's an Olympian, but still, right, he's man. not the he's not the kind of athlete <laughs> that that Rob is. But still, when you watch the tape of Derek Brunson, it's not just the Rob Whitaker fight. I mean, we've been saying that before the Rob Whitaker fight that the dude charges in with his chin straight up in the air. He can be countered. He can be beat. He's just a bully, and you have to get past that initial storm, kind of like with Vitor Belfort. So, you know, as long as Dan Kelly sticks around. You know, after the first five minutes, I think he can take over. Big if, but you know what? Let's go with uh, Dad's army here. You know what I'm saying? The plus 230 underdog. Dude, I, I thought I was crazy here, but uh, I'm glad you're on my, uh, on my side here on this one, man. I feel a little better about this because this feels like the last two fights uh, prior to this that I broke down Derek Brunson where he's the favorite. He's the justified favorite, in my opinion. I come in leaning toward him, but when I look at the footage, I'm like, man – you know, it, it became more clear. I've always kind of been high on Robert Whitaker, so maybe I was kind of trying to undo my bias there, which is why I went in with Brunson, and though I ended up obviously officially siding with Whitaker. But I, I did feel a little stronger about Brunson against older Anderson Silva, but then when I looked back on it, um, you know, there's a stylistic thing. I don't think Derek Brunson does that well against Southpaws. I believe he's uh, – oh, geez, I used to have the stat right up. I'll, I'll pull that stat up here in a second. But uh, he, he hasn't done traditionally that great against Southpaws, you know, except for I think like Chris Lieben was one of the few Southpaws he holds wins over in that kind of more boring Alvey. fight. Alvey. But that was uh, – you know, again, that was an impressive performance, and, 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 and uh, that's what initially what I thought he was going to come in and do here. That was my initial read. He was going to do, do what he did to Alvey. Um, against Kelly except there was a lot more clinching time than I remember in that fight and then you know going back and you know and watching I'm like oh he's a little comfortable in there and and Dan Kelly even if he's athletically outmatched or against a, a good wrestler you can't take breaks in the clinch there because even if he doesn't take you down, we saw in the Rashad Evans fight you were talking about and, and fights before, or the, the shoe face fight, how he got that uh, head kick, you know, what he does is he'll hit his judo trip and he's not athletic to turn the corner and do that athletic, uh, athletic turn of the hips, but he, that's fine with him. He goes, you know what? That's fine. This isn't a judo match. This is MMA. All I need to do is get this guy off balance and I can land with my underrated heavy hands and, and, and hit him. And that's what he does to guys. Even when he doesn't hit the judo trips, he trips them just enough to stifle him and he uses it to land his shot you know he cups behind the, you know the, the leg when he steps forward uh, against an orthodox fighter and hits his left hand like he did against Rashad and in re-watching that Rashad fight you're right Dan he had to take that seriously getting down there and Rashad actually looked better than I uh, than I originally remember watching the fight live and like you said Rashad was athletic he had his speed is he the same Rashad no but I believe Rashad outdid at least my expectations I had of him last night and Dan Kelly was still able to hang with him all three rounds, be competitive. So when you when I when you look at this matchup from a more you know simplistic point of view, you know if if you can't if you can't be if you can't you know just just complete like freak athlete uh, Dan Kelly, 
or you don't have the or if you don't you know one shot knock him out it's going to be a tough night for you you know and uh Derek Brunson will kind of shoot naked you know and again a lot of that that Anderson Silva was the intangibles why I picked against him you know was it was it the hero factor he he was a short notice he stayed in North Carolina you know those were intangibles that you know okay well maybe that won't be there here problem is he still stayed in North Carolina. He hasn't been. He hasn't. He hasn't gone to train anywhere since that fight. And he is athletic, but again, athlete. Is he that next level athlete? You know, I would argue not. That showed in his Derek, uh, his Yoel Romero fight. And since then, the man is 32, going to be 33 years old. Uh, that's kind of leaving the athletic prime curve that, that, that we weigh so much when we analyze Derek Brunson. He's, he is getting older. He's not the young kid. Like, oh, he's athletic. He's going to get better. He's 27. Like, no, he's 32. And when I just watched the striking, Dan Kelly has gotten a little bit better at the counter. Like, we always knew he had that McGregor push, push cross, right? He'll, he'll, like you said, like you said, Levy, he does the Dutch hand trap. He has the hand fighting, and then he pushes that cross through, which is great. But he's actually been using his right hand more, even in a check hook. And he's been slipping to the outside and countering with left hands in his last couple fights. He tagged Kamozi and kind of changed the momentum with Kamozi with the counter left. And uh, he did it to Rashad a couple times. And, man, I don't think – the reason why I picked, uh, you know, puzzle piece-wise, Anderson Silva over – over Brunson, I was like, Brunson's probably going to throw more than Silva, which he did. But I don't think Brunson, not only doesn't he not do well against southpaws, but I, I believe he doesn't do well being countered either. And Dan Kelly is deceptively good at countering. So, again, I think Dan Kelly, you know, he's going to put the volume and at least outdo the judges, maybe even stun him, put doubt in Derek Brunson's head, and then we're really going to see, like you said, Levy, where where, where Brunson is. Am I, am, am I off there? I mean, I know we're siding with the same guy, but... No, I mean, you bring up legitimate points, man. I mean, look, he did leave Greg Jackson's. He is training at the home gym. That's already a red flag. Plus, he took zero time off after Robert Whitaker absolutely embarrassed him and changed his life. Then he goes out there. You know, like I said, he got the chance to get back on track. You know, because you you recall that fight with, with Robin. He goes out there on a suicide mission. You know, it was kill or be killed type thing. And it's like, okay. You don't take that that approach with Rob Whitaker, but you can take that approach with a 41-year-old post-USADA Anderson, and he, he didn't have the confidence to do that. His confidence is shot, man. Like I said, he's got that bully mentality, and you know what I mean? You don't do that against a very mentally strong guy, and the only times that Dan Kelly has lost fights have been early in the first round. Yes. Like if you, go to a, if you go to a decision, he's winning the fight. Like, yeah. that's just how it is, man. So, like I said, if it's a first-round finish, Brunson's going to win. If it goes past the first round, Kelly's going to, you know, take over and break him. Yeah, and here's the comparison I was searching for early in my rambling and I couldn't find was. When you look at the Anderson Silva fight and the older Anderson Silva, you know, it's not, that's not an insult. In fact, that's an apt comparison. Let's compare old Anderson Silva to old Dan Kelly. Dan, even though Dan Kelly may not be as good of a counter as Anderson Silva, he, he still has heavy hands. He throws more. He's more durable than Anderson, and I even think he defends takedowns with his bad, even with his leg and the condition it is, he defends takedowns better than Anderson. You know, all four of those things, with as close as a fight was with Derek and Anderson, no matter who you had, I like, those are good signs for Dan Kelly. 100%, man. The confidence thing, the not taking time off thing, the home gym thing. This this fight being in New Zealand, there's so many factors. The You know, Dan Kelly being a plus, almost a plus 250 underdog, like, Let's find out, man. Let's see. Let's see what you know. I want to see him get that top ten spot, man. Because before, you know, it was kind of, it was kind of funny. It was kind of cool. You know, this guy with the dad bods, you know, <laughs> beat, beating all these young guys. But now, like I said, man, 
It's not it's not a feel good story anymore. He's in the top 15 now. He's fighting a top 10 guy. It's not a joke anymore. And you know, you were talking about that Kamozi fight. I know Kamozi's kind of a bum, but look, man, and no offense to Kamozi, look, right, he'd right. whoop my he'd whoop my ass. But, <laughs> Me too. <laughs> but on, on on the UFC level, you know, he's what we like to refer to as a job or someone that's yeah. brought in to lose, right? We've seen but, him since then. He's a 500 fighter, but look, the thing is, man, you know, and, and he did the thing that everyone does against Kelly. They they start off the fight, you know, the hands are down, they're smiling, they think it's a joke, and then they, <laughs> they get their head popped back one time, and they're like, oh. Shit, you know, it's like when, you know, I'm from the South, man. It's like, you know, your dad used to spank you with the belt. Like, you know, at first you're like, oh, yeah, he's going to bring out the belt. Then it actually happens. You're like, oh, fuck. Like, I don't want that to happen again. And that's what happens when Dan Kelly goes out there and, you know, lands a straight left down the pipe. And like you said, he's incorporated his right hand better nowadays. He fucking threw a head kick on Antonio Carlos Jr. You know what I'm saying, man? The the dude's no slouch, man. He's just, you know, it looks funny. But when he talks about it, man, he's like, look, I'm just so damn stubborn. I want this so bad. And that goes a long way in the sport, as you know, Dan. Absolutely, man. Well, I feel less crazy about this uh, that underdog, but the next underdog, I kind of feel crazy about. To me, it's an avoid either way. But uh, we got Daniel Hooker minus one forty-five and Ross Pearson plus one twenty-five. I think you're on the other side of this, so talk some sense into me, uh, Daniel. Well, let me hear why you got Ross, man. All right. Well, I'll go. I guess I'll go first. I came in uh, leaning toward Hooker. Um, I wasn't surprised to see him the favorite because, again, I, I came in leaning toward him. I, I essentially, you know, Ross always – he's the same fighter now. And my question – I have the same questions as you, Daniel, but my questions aren't so much physical, even though he's been through a lot, and that is worrisome. I believe his problems, though, don't stem from the wars and, and time. I believe it's more mental, which I'll touch on in a second. But the fighter who he is, we're, we're probably going to get the same fighter. And Ross always has that tendency to do, to do those crouches to the right, and he unloose, uh, he, he you know he'll slip, unleash his uppercut, right uppercut, left hook. That's his patent thing, you know, or or right cross, left hook, and he always does it off that crouch, right? And he's loading to his right side. The problem is when he faces southpaws, which he is, uh, I believe, two and six against. Um, <laughs> I gotta get that stat. I gotta get that stat again, which is kind of deceptive because again, it's like you know Evan Dunham, who's a decent striker, but Dunham didn't beat him because of striking. He beat him because of wrestling. And Diego Sanchez, let's be honest, Ross Pearson won that fight, so it's a little deceptive. I don't want to lean too heavily on that stat, but Ross typically has trouble with southpaw strikers because when you're dipping to your right as an orthodox fighter, you're dipping to the power lane of a southpaw. So if you have those powerful head kicks like Dan Hooker, that's gonna be there all day, and. Um, if you have a good uh, two like Francisco Trinaldo, that's going to be there too. Although if you throw straight like Dan Hooker does, I think uh, Pearson's good at slipping those off the, that crouch. That, that 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 is a good move in that sense. So it'll be interesting because you know Dan Hooker. I really respect that guy. I, I like watching his breakdowns. I haven't really followed up on his YouTube channel, but he seems like a real intellectual guy. But he's kind of doing the home gym thing too, which worries me. Pearson's doing the home gym thing too, which was a trend you saw from last year, which worries me. And uh, so I, I essentially I'm, – I'm grading this fight that we're going to see the same fighters and judging, you know, judging Hooker's southpaw arsenal versus Pearson's orthodox arsenal is what initially got me to lean toward Hooker. But I, it, Hooker's defense kind of bothers me. He's gotten better at his head movement, but I feel like he almost celebrates it too much. And you, you, see, you see guys, especially in these last couple fights, when they start putting the one or two punches behind their combinations like uh, – Max Holloway made that adjustment on Aldo. He started adding just one or two shots after the combination when the guy was fading away. You'll see guys hit Hooker almost every time. And I feel like in that sense, Pearson's left hook, his money punch is going to be there all day. The problem is he's there for Hooker's money kick. Now, 
what Ross has going for him, the shots that usually hurt Ross are the shots he doesn't see coming. You know, when he's he, those crafty hooks that, that come around the corner from crafty slick strikers like a like a Cub Swanson or um, like a uh, God, I'm losing Masvidal. Masvidal, right? Exactly. Um, even though he has hit, you know, he has absorbed whether he's blocking or not. He's there's still absorption on those kicks, which isn't good for you. When Ross sees something, sees, sees something coming, he's good at reacting and taking those shots. And he has a good trigger for when he takes those power kicks from southpaws. He'll always come back with a right hand. Or more importantly with this fight, which is something to look, look out for, he'll catch it and take you down. Now, Ross is not known for a takedown guy, and he should probably do it more because he's underrated there. But we saw in Trin- Trinaldo, when he's getting pieced up by a southpaw, he'll look to catch those kicks and get him down. Now, his control wasn't that good, and, and Trinaldo you know, exploded at the right times to get up. So it didn't, it didn't help. Pearson too much on the scorecards, but Dan Hooker, even though he's crafty on his on, on, on his back, you know, that's a worry for me here. If, if Pearson's able to get, you know, edge out rounds with volume, catch a couple kicks, take him down, even if he's not able to pass or do do much damage from there, you know what I'm saying? Scoring with these refs, it's kind of a crapshoot when we go to these regions. So even if you're feeling Hooker, I don't blame you, but I would kind of just say stay away. For some reason, my read here, read here is saying Pearson. I may like throw just a couple bucks to put my money where my mouth is, but by no means do I suggest anybody jump off that cliff with me. If I did a formal breakdown, Daniel, this would be on my fights to avoid list. Well, firstly, man, are you sure that Hooker is doing the home gym thing? Because I thought he was training at Tiger Muay Thai. I, I, I saw Thailand footage, but not in the last like four to six weeks. It looked like he was jumping from his Instagram, at least, from uh, New Zealand to Australia. He did some work, some gyms in Australia. Maybe maybe he stopped there in between that I missed. There's a lot of gym photos, but they kind of look like it's a clear cut from Australia gyms to New Zealand. Um, but yeah, yeah, I know he's trained at Tiger Muay Thai there before, and I, I have much respect for them. And and uh, I, But the last stuff I saw was like earlier, beginning of this year, him in, in Thailand. Did you see something different, uh, Daniel? I mean, that's what I thought, that he was training at Tiger, but I mean, I, I could be wrong. But look, man, I think him moving up to 155 pounds yes. is, is a big deal, man. It's yes. really important because at 45, you know, he was still pretty good. But, you know, if you watch that fight with Jason the Kid Knight, I mean, the speed that Knight was operating with, you know, you could be, you could tell that, like, man, Hooker's mm-hmm. probably got to move up a weight class. You know what I'm saying, man? And I guarantee you Ross Pearson ain't going to be operating on that speed at all. <laughs> I'll tell you that right now. You know, Ross Pearson's just showing up for a paycheck, man. I mean, I was at his fight with Jorge Masvidal, and, you know, I, I know you weren't there because you're in Vegas. So I'll, I'll let me let you know what happened in that second round. So that second round. Jorge Masvidal drops Ross Pearson, right? And, you know, it's a 10-8 round, and the, the, the round ends. You know, we're about to go to the third round. Now, when that second round ends, and it, it's 2 nothing Jorge, and the second round was a 10-8, Ross was so fucked up that he puts his hands up in the air and acts like the fight's over. He goes up to George in his corner. He gives him a hug and starts celebrating as if he won the fight. And George is like, hey, man, we got one more round to go. Like, you know what I mean? Like, fucking Eric Del Fierro had a, you know— carry uh, Ross back to his corner and be like, bro, the fight ain't over yet. Like That was a scary moment, man. That shows you the kind of damage this dude's taken over his career, man. And, you know, you mentioned the mental things. And honestly, man, I, I think it's more physical than mental. And we can debate this. I, I'm down, you know, because I, I think you bring some some very great points to the table here. And it could be mental, too, because when you lose that many fights in a row, I'm sure he's he's questioning himself. But the reason why I say it's physical is because I think he's slowed down to a point where all those techniques you mentioned – 
you know, are obsolete. I don't think he, he, he I don't think he's fast enough to get off on his strikes like he used to, man. I think he kind of plods forward. You know, he does, you know, move his he does uh what was it called that you said he the way he moves uh, his head crouch, to the side? Where he dip, dips to yeah. the right side heavily, yeah. I feel like when when he does that crouch now, he's gonna eat a head kick. And I think the biggest weapon in this fight for Hooker is gonna be that straight left. Look, he's gonna be in that southpaw stance, he's gonna be circling to his right all day. You already know as an orthodox striker that's already hard to deal yeah. with the southpaws anyways now now i gotta deal with a southpaw that knows how to fight tall that's faster than me that it's just i just think it's a terrible matchup for ross at this point in his career a couple years back different story right now like i just think ross is completely completely done and i'm not one to rush to say that a fighter is done but listen man he's done you know what i'm saying will brooks is fucking going out there and beating this guy man and i've never been high on that guy uh stevie ray that was a 30 27 i don't care what one judge you know one judge clearly had yeah, money no, on that Ross. was yeah that was, that was no way i, I totally I was, forgot that was a split when i rewatched that one i was like what this was a split yeah, but here's that, the thing, yeah. man. I mean, you can't be super confident in Hooker because he's also a 500 fighter. But the the fact here is that he is younger, he is fresher, he is moving up a weight class. Ross is just coming in for a paycheck, and I, I think Hooker's going to go out there in 30 to 27 him on two cars, get a 29 28 on the other, and win the unanimous decision. No, that's good points. I I, I didn't bring up the uh, weight change here, but yeah, Hooker is coming up from 145, and even though the, the criticisms on his defense is what worries me. I believe he'll be able to take those shots better. Um, you know, both me and you, Daniel, we're both proponents of guys moving up and the benefits that come along with it. And I guess I will say the reason why I say it's mental, uh, maybe it's the wrong word mental, but um, I'm more talking about what you're talking about as, as far as, um, you know, he's he's there just for the money. And it sounded like, you know, it, you know it didn't sound like it, but I'm just saying don't get it mistaken for what you're saying, Daniel. Is it doesn't sound like you're, you're dismissing Ross Pearson at all because I actually – from somebody in the know has a relationship with Ross Pearson, you know, maybe interviewed him a couple times, uh, you know, uh, told me that, you know, especially in that last run, you look at, he fought five times in 2016 that Ross, you know, he, he, he has multiple properties in Australia, you know, I believe he had it somewhere maybe in UK was, was spending some time stateside as well. You know, he definitely had a lot of money going out and, uh, you know, needed money coming in and, you know, you get that certain money to show up and then you have all those fights with the UFC, which, you know, say what you will about Reebok. I'm sure he's more toward the, the higher end of the tier there, right? Bro, let's, let's hey, sorry, honest, sorry so. to interrupt you, yeah. my man. Sorry to interrupt you, bro. But listen, he's getting 50 to show yep. plus his 20 for Reebok. So he can go lose this fight and get 70K. Yes, exactly. Awesome. And, and then we pay off our manager. We pay off our taxes. We still walk home with 55. Hey, yeah, that's pretty fucking good for a, for a nice L here that Hooker's about to give us. And it, it, exactly. So apparently, you know, even coming from the horse's mouth from, you know, Ross himself, he needed to make some money bad. So there is definitely something there. And I, that's why that's what I mean by more mental as far as it spoke to his performances, because, you know, he's going in there taking fights that are inadvisable, you know, and whatnot. And uh, but, yeah, the other part to that shoe could really drop and be more much more clear if it is speed and wear and he is going to be getting rocked. Now he's actually had a good break. He's had some time off. He looks like he's coming in the shape of his life. If he takes that first shot from Daniel Hooker, I think that's going to tell us a lot in this fight. That's going to be the thing to look out for that first round, how he takes those shots. Because, again, even when Ross blocks things like from that power side southpaw, he still takes it a bit. And I think that's going to tell us a lot in that first round. So I'm keeping my money away from it, but um, definitely great great points uh, points here for, 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 for y'all to take in, hopefully, on that matchup. Yeah, Dan, I mean, listen, when you see that Stevie Ray fight and, you know, Stevie's a southpaw, you know, he showed the blueprint on how you beat Ross Pearson, even though the blueprint's been out for years. I'm just saying right, he right, showed right. he showed it to a T because Absolutely. like I have a special place in my heart for point fighters just because as a gambling man, I fucking love betting on those guys. Because you can't <laughs> yeah. depend 
you can't depend on someone to get a knockout every single time, man, because, you know, it doesn't happen every fight. Yes. But what I do need is that, hey, you know, if it goes past the first round and it goes to the judges' scorecards, do I know for a fact that you're going to win the fight? So I love the guys that are experts at winning the decisions. Now, I'm not saying that Hooker is one of those guys, but what I am saying is that the blueprint's been laid, and Hooker, you know, he can do the Stevie Ray game plan, but he's taller and longer, and like, you know, like I've also said in the past, not that, you know, because you're taller and longer, that doesn't mean you're going to win the fight. But if you know how to use your reach and your range, and you follow the blueprint that's, you know, been given to us by Stevie Ray, I mean, Dan, uh, Dan Hooker can go out there and put on a longer version of the Stevie Ray game plan. 100% great points there, and regardless of uh, the pick or the lean, I should say, in this case, uh, I'm a Dan Hooker fan, so I definitely won't be upset to see him win, and especially like me and you, we champion these guys that move up in weight class. It'd be nice to see that trend continue uh, and hopefully encourage more fighters to do it, but this next fight, you have a, you have a speaking of leans and picks, you have, a, you have a strong one on this next one, right? It's Mizuto Hirota, who's plus 375 dog versus... Alexander Volkanovsky, you want to talk about moving lines, I'll let you tell them, tell, tell the audience where you got him at, but right now Volkanovsky is sitting at minus 470. Wow, holy shit, man. I mean, I played it at minus 275, you know what I'm saying? Um, wow. Put four, put four units on it, and I wanted to max bet it, you know, put five units on it, a max bet, but the thing is, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you one of my secrets right now, tell, tell your audience, I won't max bet something unless it's minus 250 or better. And, you know, there's a reason behind that. There's mathematics behind that. Um, I can explain it if you want to know. But if not, you know, you can think about it. Because, look, if let's say I, I take a minus 250. That's the absolute worst line that I'll max bet, right? Right. So I get, I get a minus 250 and it caches. That's two units profit, right? I get another one, caches, two units profit. Another one, caches, two units profit. Two times three is six. Now, let's say the next one loses. Well, fuck, I just lost five units. But guess what? I was up six already, so now I'm up one unit. That's profitable. So I need to basically cash. Uh... So basically what I need to happen is I need to get three right for every one that I lose. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So that that's why I have to do that price, and I stay disciplined with that. But here is minus 275, and it was still you know, it was close enough to where I'm still down to play it straight. But you know what I mean? It wasn't good enough to max, so I put four units on it. I completely understand people parlaying it because I know, you know, I'm not really a juice player. I'm more of a dog player, but this was a right. play, a spot where, like, man, I like the favorite a lot here. And Volkanovski is an animal, man. You saw that UFC debut, and that shit was at 155, man. You know what I mean? This kid is five foot five. He should, you know, he could be fighting at, at bantamweight. His only career loss is at 170. That's the kind of badass we're dealing with here, Dan. He's fought, you know, he's uh, played rugby before, so you know he's a very rugged, tough, gritty guy. And the dude can wrestle his ass off. I know, you know, people might laugh like, oh, you know, oh, he's an Australian wrestler. Listen, man, Australian MMA is not a joke anymore. You can't laugh at this shit like you used to because now you got a guy in Robert Whitaker fighting for the title. You got a guy in Dan Kelly that's ranked top 15. You got a guy in Tyson Pedro that's ranked top 15 as well. And now we got Alexander Volkanovsky, who I think has potential to be a top 15 guy. And Mizuto Hirota, I got a lot of respect for him too, man. He cashed that play for me against Cole Miller, which, you know, obviously we bet against Cole Miller every single <laughs> fight, especially when you heard what he was saying before that one. But the thing with this matchup is that I feel like Volkanovski does everything that Hirota does. Just he's faster, he's fresher, he's stronger, he's more athletic, he's younger, just everything. You know what I'm saying? So I think it's slightly a mismatch. And I'd like to see Alex Volkanovski go out there and take care of business quick. Now, if he doesn't take care of business quick, you know, he'll probably win the decision. But this is the spot where, listen, man, if you want to take your career to that next level, get rid of this guy quick. 
Excellent points, man. First on the betting, uh, you know, juice, you're right. Juice might scare people off, especially when you're talking about, um, you know, you know, uh, you know, the four units or the max bets and, and stuff like that. But again, if you're listening to the talk, you know, if you or just following your work, but, you know, even listening to the top five underdogs, you know, you'll know Daniel Levy knows what he's talking about with underdogs. You know, he'll, he'll bump his chest on that. And rightfully so. That being said, he knows how to balance things, too. And this is one of those tools that he uses to balance that, you know, it's about you know, you could get kind of lost when you start talking about value too much. So I try not to talk about that. You know, uh, value allows you to chase bets that aren't there if you're not careful. But if you see a clear shot, whether it's a juice shot or it's a dog shot like Dan Kelly we're talking about, you have to, you know, s- stick to your – I don't want to say principles because there is real, no real hard and fast rules to this crazy game. You know what I'm saying? But – but 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 you stick to what you think is a good shot. You know you don't you don't. Oh, I'm just gonna bet this just because the lines this. Oh, I'm gonna bet juice because the lines this. And this you know that's when you can kind of get yourself into trouble on both sides of the equation. So I really like that you kind of bring those. You kind of uh, peel the curtain back in that sense, Daniel. But about this matchup, man, hundred percent. He essentially does everything better, and this is a sizable guy. I mean, I'm the first to say Hirota, you know, um, is very strong for his size. You know, uh, you know, you you look at some of these smaller Asian dudes and be like, oh, this guy's gonna get pushed over, and like. He's pretty underrated, and even Volkanovski's last opponent, you know, he, he probably won't sniff the top 25 lightweights, but Kasuya for the Asian... Kasuya's no slouch! No, not at all. Man, he's got, like, dangerous head kicks, but, like, uh, he's, got, he's got pop in his punches. Volkanovski, you know, took some of those shots when he was pressuring in, didn't bother him at all, did his thing, and I like his lever awareness, you know, Volkanovski's got that wrestling background, and you're like, oh, he's from Australia, what, what kind of wrestling is he seeing there, but... Uh, you see it. He's got really good lever awareness. Kasuya tries to smartly use the fence to get up. Um, Volkanovski just picks him by his ankle, lifts that ankle up, puts him right back on his ass, and starts pounding away on Kasuya again. Like those little things like that. That's like uh, Khabib Nurmagomedov does that all those all the times. Those those little ankle picks against when guys try to get up against the cage. He's like, nope, I'm gonna reset you right back to your butt and smash you some more. And when now he's going down another division, the only way aside from a freak shot that I see Hiroto winning this is Volkanovski has a bad cut. And Hirota is able to survive the first solid two rounds that um, Volkanovski's proven that he can go at a standing and grappling full clip at. Now, if he's a bad cut and comes that third round and, you know, something happens uh, and, and, you know, Hirota's veteran savvy, like there could be something freakish like that maybe. But outside of that, I don't see how Hirota wins this fight, man. Yeah, I mean, listen, anytime that we talk like that and we say, I don't see how this guy wins right. the fight, I'm always, a, I'm always a little worried, you know, are we underestimating this guy? You know, last week, I had a max bet on Carlos Jr. at minus 210 against Eric Spicely, and I was like, you know, am I underestimating Spicely? And I wasn't, but... In this spot, you know, because Hirota, you know, Pugnus is a very tough, gritty guy. He's been in there with a lot of tough dudes, and he's paid his dues. He's tough, man. You know what I'm saying? And if Volkanovski goes all three with him, I think Volkanovski will win the decision. And, you know, maybe maybe Hirota survives. You know what I'm saying? But I still think Volkanovski gets it done. But, listen, we respect Pugnus. He's tough, man. You know what I'm saying? He's a, he's a tough Japanese dude. You know, you saw that fight with Teru where he got dropped twice in the first round and then came back and arguably won the next two rounds. I got a lot of respect for him. But I think this is a, a different animal he's facing here in Alex. 100%. And uh, let's just touch on one fight before we before we take our break and jump to the top five here. And that's just going to be – we, we had someone ask this under the uh, – by the way, use hashtag Protect Your Neck Podcast. Submit your top five lists. Any any questions? And one question came in. Uh, let me pull up his name and give him credit. But I'll just set up the matchup. I'll let you set up the matchup real quick. We have Tim Elliott minus two ten favorite right now versus Ben Nguyen with a minus with a comeback of uh, plus one seventy five. Uh, why don't you give us the layout of this matchup, Daniel? 
Well, Dan, I might be 100% incorrect on my analysis on this fight, but I'm willing to you know, put my balls on the line and see what happens here. But I think that Tim Elliott's one of the most overrated fighters in the UFC. Look, he's super exciting. I love watching him. He does cartwheels. He's fucking awesome to watch. He's a cool guy. Okay, great. But when it comes down to betting on someone, the guy doesn't win fights in the UFC. I mean, he's 1-4 in, in his last five, man. You know what I'm saying? And the one fight that he did win just happened to be the guy that just beat uh, Ben 10. So people are like, well, if Elliot can go out there and beat Smolka and Smolka can beat uh, Ben 10, then obviously Elliot's going to beat Ben 10. But it's like, how many times have we learned that MMA math doesn't account to jack shit? Like, how many times do we have to learn that lesson? So to me, it doesn't tell me anything. You know, you watch that fight with Ben 10 and Smolka and – so, you know, 10 seconds into the fight, Ben 10 has the full mount on Smolka. So, you know, he probably thought going into that fight, like, I'm going to blitz this guy. I'm going to knock him out. I'm going to do all these things. But when you get that full mount 10 seconds into the fight, you're probably like, well, shit, I can outgrapple this guy. All right. That's, that's what I'm going to do right now, man. You know what I'm saying? So he gets that full mount. Then, you know, then Lewis scrambles on top. Then Ben takes his back, almost, you know, almost gets the choke. So Ben's like, you know what, man? Maybe I should just stick to the grappling. I'm going to get the better of these exchanges. But you know with a guy like Lewis Smolka, he historically sells out early so that he can scramble his way on top. Like, that's how he wins fights. Right. And even in that Elliott fight, which he lost, there were many points where he was able to scramble on top. And Elliott couldn't get out from, you know, from the— from the bottom, man, it's just, you know, the rounds would end and Elliot won four minutes of those rounds. So, you know, he'd get he'd get the nod there. And I, I believe it was in his hometown as well. But bottom line, man, in this spot here, you know, Elliot's a guy that said, like, I'm, I'm done fighting at 125. I want to go up to 135. These cuts are getting way too rough. And he took this fight on three weeks short notice. I don't know if you saw the, the footage of him posting, you know, those benders he had in Thailand, man. He was getting trashed every night and now we're coming out here trying to make that cut to 25 against a guy who's been focused who you know who's who wants this who came back look we talk about how dudes face you know how, how dudes come back from defeat and when ben 10 faced defeat he put his head down and grinded he faced defeat like a champion you saw that fight with gian herrera you went out there and put a clinic on him now i know gian herrera you know he's a bit of a jobber but the bottom line here is that the only dudes that beat gian herrera are top guys you know what i'm saying ray borg Ali Bagautina and uh, now Ben 10, you know, and the other fight that Gian had against Joby Sanchez, I believe that's the kid's name. Yeah. You know, Gian Gian Herrera knocked him out, man, because Gian's no slouch. It's just that they've been feeding Gian to the top of the top and the top of the top unanimous decision him every single time. Now, everyone's all over Tim Elliott's dick because he had, you know, two seconds of success in an early scramble with Demetrius Johnson. Okay. Cool, man. You still lost the fight. I know it's the greatest of all time. You went five rounds with him. Tons of dudes have gone five rounds with him, you know, and gotten their ass whooped. So to me, that doesn't really tell me shit. I, I think it comes down to styles and it comes down to approach. And I think that if Ben 10 learned from his Smolka fight, if he truly did, which I think he did because you saw that Gian Herrera fight, but if he truly learned from it and he knows that, hey, man, I'm not going to initiate these scrambles. I'm going to do what I'm best at. You know, that blitz on the feet, my fucking Tiger Muay Thai background. If I stick around and I use that, Elliot gasses every single fight after the first round, man. So, you know what I mean? I, I think that this might be a good spot to take a look at the underdog for a small one-unit shot. I don't blame you at all there. And by the way, the person that said uh, that was asking the question was Luke Lamp at Good Deal, sir. He was uh, asking about good bets, and he said uh, he liked Tim Elliott, but outside of that, he was lost. Well, you just heard... Uh, there, Luke, a counter-argument for the other side to help gain and add to your perspective there. And even though I want to 
pr- pr- provide a counter argument here. Uh, you know, th- there's a lot of things that th- that you're on point about. I see why Elliot is favored stylistically. I get that. I'm not arguing that. Um, the intangible style, and I'll get to the other parts, the, intang- the intangibles of the party and the weight cut, which I agree, by the way. Um, but I'll get to that in a second. But I think the intangible here is I don't put a lot of weight. I think people do put too much weight into that DJ performance, the, the tough car wash, the fresh coat of paint, I think kind of dazzle people a bit much. And I don't put any weight into that. But I will say the technical intangible here is that he did change some things coming off that show and coming off that DJ fight, which was I don't know how much of the camp. Again, I'm. I, I haven't been in extreme tour in the last like month and a half, uh, a step foot in there. So, and I'm I'm barely there these days as much anymore, which is sad to say. But I know he was working with one of uh, coaches I've worked with from there, uh, Robert Follows, the main grappling coach there, and he's a great coach. I have nothing good things to say, but I don't know how much Tim Elliott is working with him is the problem, you know. Um, and again, you know, when you kind of change camps, you don't really see too much of a difference. Like we haven't really, we didn't really see too much of a difference in Tim Elliott's last fight against Smolka. But, you know, do we see those differences in these fights? You know, how much was he working with, you know, um, with, with, with this new camp? You know, that, that is one thing to look for as far as any changes we can see from Elliott. But outside of that, it's a very risky fight. Like you said, just short notice. You know, he's on some benders in Thailand. And even without that, any fight at 125 for Tim Elliott worries me because this is like, it's kind of like the Horiguchi saying, you know, I don't want to fight DJ. I need more time to grow. And then what's the next fight? They throw him to DJ. Like, that's what it felt like. Tim Elliott's like, I almost died making this weight cut. And usually guys wait till after their title fight to say it. But he said it like before the title fight, even he was open with like, this almost killed me. And the commentators were telling you like, yep, this is something to watch for in this fight. Watch him see if he fades. And then he goes and takes another fight after that at the weight class. And now another fight at short notice. Even if you like Tim Elliott or you're rooting for him here, I suggest keeping your money away because something I say about flyweight fights, I compare him to heavyweight fights, not in the sense that one guy's going to knock out the other guy, but in the momentum swings in a different way are very, very sensitive. And I'm sure you, you feel what I'm saying there. We see a lot of live dogs hit when we when we go to the flyweights, even females too, obviously, as well there for, for the same reason. Again, there's not a knockout threat, but when you get to a low sample size or fighters that are uber-technical, it, it becomes it's just such small things that can decide the flow of a fight. Um, so, yeah, this is a dogger pass for sure. One more thing before we go. I just want to give out a, a play, not really a breakdown on the next fight. Just one of the lines that I, I liked. I know I'm not supposed to be giving out, but not not supposed to. This is what the podcast is, but... I'm it's not, your fucking podcast, son. I'm not standing behind any betting things too hard here. Again, I, I, I didn't... Uh, I didn't do the normal research, but man, I, I did research this fight a bit, and I like the fight won't go the distance for minus 160, De Silva and Cute Lava. Only three decision fights, win or lose between them. You know, um, two guys that gas and go for broke um, on the ground, and um, especially on the feet on both cases. But uh, a, a quick feel on that. Am I, am I crazy for uh, maybe playing that even straight up? You're not crazy at all. Here's the thing. It should cash, but how many times have we have we used the word should in this sport with bets and then gotten burnt. But, you know, don't let that discourage you, man. I mean, you know, Jan Kutaleba could go out there and starch him quick or he could gas out and then he could get stopped by Henrique Da Silva. You know, I could totally see a stoppage. Even though Jan Kutaleba's three UFC fights, they all, you know, went to the third round. Right. That 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 is true. And Henrique Da Silva's last fight also, you know, went all three rounds. But I, based on how the styles match up, I, I think these two are going to throw down until one guy falls. And I wish you the best of luck in that play, man. Yeah, offense heavy, defense not so heavy on both sides, right? But all right, on that note, we are going to take a break. And when we come back, we are going to dive right into our top five featherweight wars of all time.
muchachas enojadas Right here on the Protect Your Neck Podcast for the top five featherweight wars of all time. Man, you ready to hop in this time machine or what, Daniel? Oh my god, man. I'm so stoked, man. I feel like featherweight is one of the most underrated divisions, you know, not just in the UFC, but in the sport of mixed martial arts. So let's unpack our top five, man. Absolutely, man. Uh, everybody knows 155 pounds has, has long been my favorite division. Uh, but for all the reasons you love 155, there's been a monster underneath that. That's the featherweight division. So as per usual, we're going to go five to one and do our honorable mentions and your submissions and transitions. Your top five list we'll talk about, too, at the end. But let's just get the party started, man. My number five features one of the greatest featherweights of all time, if not, in my opinion, the greatest featherweight of all time. But maybe not a fight that would be first or even second on someone's list if it, they, they were talking about featherweight wars. Um, that is Jose Aldo, of course, I'm talking about. But I'm talking about his fight with Mark Hominick. His first fight in the UFC, one of the biggest fights to date, the biggest fight to date at that time, the Rogers Center. UFC was at 129, I believe was the number. And, yeah. uh, you know, everybody knows the story. Hominick goes out there. And by the way, you know, he's got Sean Tompkins in his corner. Shout out to Sean Tompkins, rest in peace. I was lucky enough to be able to take some classes under him when he was over at Extreme Couture. And you could really see the relationship Sean Tompkins had with his fighters. And this was like his son, you know, uh, coming out there in Mark Hominick. And for the title in Canada, it was like a story. And, you know, first round comes out, and we're all interested because we're like, oh, Jose Aldo gets to face a real good striker now, right? It's a real good striker. What's going to happen? And Jose Aldo has him down at the end of the first round. Aldo's hitting him with elbows, starts this hematoma that would slowly grow, take over Mark Hominick's face, and everybody knows now that, you know, despite the criticisms you may have about Aldo's gas tank, he actually had a really bad weight cut uh, coming off of a layoff in that in that fight. You know, he had to he had to go sit down and excuse himself from press conferences from fight week, and it started showing come the third and fourth round, and Aldo, his first sign of that trope that would ev- eventually kind of start to catch up with him later, it shows here. He gets tired to the end. You have the fifth round where Mark Hominick now, despite having a an alien head growing, he's on top of Jose Aldo, punching him. The crowd's going crazy. It's not enough but it's very rocky one which i'm a fan of the first rocky i'm a fan of stories where the guy doesn't win because hominick doesn't win but my god did he get the moral victory more than anybody that night daniel what do you 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 got what do you got on this one man man i mean this was the first featherweight championship fight in ufc history you know what i'm saying man and it, it was incredible i mean jose aldo put on a clinic for four straight rounds and then that fifth round comes out, and you're thinking to yourself, I mean, you know, is he going to coast? Is he going to seal the deal? You know, Hominick, is he even going to answer the bell because he had a, you know, a head growing out of his head? But <laughs> Hominick goes out there, and he arguably 10 8 Jose Aldo in that fifth round. And it's just like, man, this dude has a lot of heart, you know. And that fight was in, was in Canada, right? Yes, sir. Toronto. And the dude's Canadian. He was fighting in front of his people. And, you know, to me, that was kind of like his swan song because, you know, he never won a fight ever again. Yeah. And he didn't win this one. He, he didn't win this one either. But I'm just saying that was his last, you know, you know, he Moment. could he could walk up. He could walk out of there with his with his head up high, you know, because after that, it was, you know, seven second knockout by Korean zombie. The Pablo Garza fight, the fucking uh, Eddie Yagen fight, which I wasn't in, in attendance for. Wow. But 
but man, I mean, that was the last moment where it was really like, yeah. wow, you know, Hominick's such a beast to, you know, take that four round ass whooping like a man, come back and win that fifth round. Much respect, you know, RIP to Sean Tompkins and Jose Aldo, you know, he, he's one of the goats. Yeah, and I believe you know after that after that uh, Aldo fight too, I believe he they lost Tompkins between that and his next fight. So there's a lot of weird you know storylines and and you know might not be the the way you would want to go out. You want to go out with a win, not on a losing streak, but poetic nonetheless is what you're trying to say. And I agree. What uh, what is your top five, sir? Well, this one you know this this should be on almost anyone's list. And and before I give my my number five, I just want to say that this list. You know, if you ask me my top five featherweight wars in a year from now, aside from, you know, my number one and my number two and my number three, this could change because there's a kid named Jason Knight who I guarantee you, Dan, I guarantee you he will be in some of our favorite featherweight wars in years to come. So this list will be changing all the time. But for now, my number five, and this happened recently, is Cub Swanson versus Duho Choi. I mean, come on. You know what I mean? Because the, the narrative going into this fight, look. Duho Choi was like a minus 250 favorite, right? And everyone thought Cub Swanson was done. They were writing him off, you know, feeding him to the prospect. And Cub Swanson goes out there, and, man, I love the way he leaps in with that left hook. Then he throws the same side head kick. Then he throws the overhand right out of nowhere. And, you know, and then he gets cracked. He gets dropped, but he gets back up. They both start swinging. I love that fight. That's my number five. That's a freaking awesome – dude, when he, I, I got to admit, man, I uh, – it's all right, Benjamin – I did not even think about that one. Maybe because it's a it's a new it, it's a newer one, but the newer one is very deserving. My next one's a newer one, but 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 this one is ridiculously deserving. A fight of the year, a all time great fight, no matter what the weight class was. I mean, you run out of superlatives, you know, when you even trying to describe that fight. You you almost can't. It's a, you don't even try to. Just go to Fight Pass, type that in. Watch Duho Choi vs. Cub Swanson and enjoy yourself just a good time. Like, really, it's really just one of those fights that's, that's going to be like wine, I think. You know, I think we're going to look back on it. It's going to age like wine, brother. But, oh, yeah. uh, but, but, but that's a fantastic number five, man. And, and again, um, with that being a newer choice, that's kind of perfect because uh, I'll parlay that here into my number four, Daniel. Because my, my number four is probably the most newest choice of all of these ones. But I had to put it on there because it has everything that I want to see. From one, a fighter that I like, a new and an up-and-comer of the division, a new blood that I think, like Jason Knight, will provide us with some entertaining fights. And the other, kind of an old guard. This might have been his last best performance, but it was a good performance from him. Uh, especially considering that you know he's had a lot of UFC fights and you know was popped and then moved down a division. I'm talking about Tiago Tavares, which means I'm talking about Tiago Tavares versus Brian Ortega. And you want to talk about blood and guts? Having you know Tiago Tavares had his like skin falling off his face at a certain point, where even like Stan and the commentators were just surprised that the doctors even let it go. And you know me and Daniel Levy love our third round finishers. We have a kind of nose for these guys. And Ortega, you know, he cracked our radar. That's for damn sure. Especially with fights like this. And even though you know uh, he, he was in control for a lot of it, Tiago Tavares was taking it to him, taking him down. And I believe Tiago Tavares was coming into that fight with a stat like he was thirteen and one in fight in UFC fights where he's able to score at least one takedown. Thirteen and one when you're able to score at least one takedown. Say what you will about Tiago Tavares, but that's a legit uh, stat for a, a, a veteran BJJ black belt. And Ortega just took it to him. Like, he was a steady builder. A steady builder could take the damage. And, you know, 
Bishop from the X-Men, random reference. Don't ask me why 1995-year-old Dan, you know, 1995 Dan pulled that reference up. But he's like, Bishop from the X-Men. He absorbs it and gives it back. And that was a beautiful fight. Man, that fight was awesome. And it brings back good memories because, you know, I actually bet on Brian Ortega as an underdog in that fight, man. Wow. And, you know, it's been a while since I've seen it. But what I do remember from it is that, you know, that first round, Tiago Tavares goes out there. He takes down Brian Ortega. Now, you know, let, let me know if you remember what what actually happened. But he either had an armbar or a triangle in that first round. Brian Ortega did, and then he swept him. I was like, "Damn, son!" Because you know, obviously, you don't just go out there and sweep a guy like Tiago Tavares, right? But the thing with Brian Ortega is his jujitsu is on another level, man. There's videos of him rolling with Henner Gracie, which you know, for ten minutes straight, competitive. I'm not talking about you know Henner Gracie putting on a clinic. I'm talking about they're they're you know going back and forth and you know one doesn't simply go back and forth you know with the gi on against henner gracie right and ortega's got that kind of jujitsu man and then obviously that third round again he had a beautiful sweep gets on top pounds him out cashes the underdog play that is definitely one of your top featherweight wars my man 100 percent. i do remember that yeah i think he went for a triangle and he went to adjust for an arm bar and of course Tavares goes to defend but Ortega stays a step ahead, and I believe it's some kind of flower sweep or something they call it with the gi, but I know without the gi, it's called a pendulum sweep. And it's where you oh, yeah, a pendulum you, sweep. Yep, and you parlay a missed arm bar um, into a sweep because when you're going for whether it's the right arm or the left, and if they're defending it, that's all fine. The point is their arm's compromised. Even if it's not compromised where you're going to get the arm bar, it's compromised in that they can't use that arm to post. So if they can't post their weight, well, go ahead and take them to that side, and, and you see Brian Ortega use the leg hook to get that leverage, takes them over. And again, I totally forgot that on top of it, he was an underdog. You reminded me of that, man. That that is, that is that is that is crazy, man. Uh, what's your what's your number four, Mr. Levy? All right, sorry about that. We are back, and uh, we are on Mr. Levy's number four top five featherweight war, sir. So you notice I had Cub Swanson as my number five, right? And you know what? Let's give Cub Swanson the number four as well because he had a war with Dustin Poirier that I'll never forget, man. And, you know, it was one of those fights where at the time they were both the hot prospects and they go out there. They have this war where both men wobble. It was super close. And it all came down to that third round. You know, who's going to take it, you know, when it counts the most? And in the last minute of the fight, Cub Swanson hit the nicest judo throw that I've seen in a while, you know, at that point, right? You know, because obviously after that, he went out there. You saw that judo throw he hit on Dennis Seaver. But at at that point, man, when he hit that judo throw on Dustin, he got on top of him in the full mount. And then they start talking to each other. You know, Dustin's like, you're not about to take this away from me. Like, I can't believe you're about to do this. Like, they're, they're talking shit to each other. And it was just such a great war. It was one of those where I was like, man, I really wish there were two more rounds. So, you know, Dustin Poirier versus Cub Swanson, that's always a fight you can go back to and enjoy it every single time. 100%, man. Uh, you know, I I got another Cub a Cub one that, that went the distance uh, for five rounds. That's on an honor that was on an honorable mention, but uh, and that you know, I don't want to sell that in case someone that's on someone else's list, but that fight was one I wish was five rounds. Like you want to talk about top 5 most anticipated fights? That fight was on my top five most anticipated fights for that year. I mean, you when you look at like a skills matchup, you know, you know, you know five eight versus five nine as far as like the stats go, and then you look at their ground skills, their transitionary skills, their technical striking skills from hands to feet, counters to coming forward, footwork. I mean, there was just so much. You could have had that match. You could have ran that match back like ten times and got ten completely different but amazing fights, right? If you if you if you ran that back, like it's one of those matchups that's just perfect. 
hundred percent, man. And you know, look what they've done since then. You know what I'm saying? They're both still top five guys. I know Dustin's probably top ten, but I'm still saying, right. man, they're they're top five talents. They're both, you know. I mean, they're not too far behind from a title shot, man. I mean, they're they're still putting in work. They're still relevant. They're still, you know, top of their game. And how can you not love guys like Cub Swanson and Dustin Poirier? One hundred percent, man. And, and just just to kind of shift up the order to change things up, since we're on number three, we're midway through here. Do you mind double dipping, Stir? And all I know you got done with your number four, but why don't you go ahead and uh, kick us off for number three? Listen, for number three, and this is one where I feel like everyone needs to have this fight on their list. This is an essential UFC fight that, you know, when you got friends, and and I'm going to say this about my number one as well, but when you got friends that have never seen the sport and, you know, you want to make sure that you get off to the right footing, you know, you want to show them the right fight to get them into the sport, you show them a fight like Jose Aldo versus Chad Mendes too. I mean, come on, man. You know what I'm saying? Because at (laughs) at the time, you know, we talked about that Hominick fight, and, you know, yeah, it was a war just because the last round was a 10-8 for Hominick, but no one had ever really, you know, dropped Jose Aldo. No one had ever been in a close fight with Jose Aldo until Chad Mendes came along the second time. And, you know, Chad Mendes is a guy that got knocked out by Jose Aldo the first time they fought in spectacular, devastating fashion. And it was in Brazil the first time as well. So, you know, Chad could have been like, bro, there's no fucking chance I'm ever going to Brazil to fight this guy again. But you know what? Chad had the balls to come back down a second time. And this time he had more fight in him, man. And, you know, he goes out there, he drops Jose Aldo in the first 30 seconds, then Jose drops him, then, you know, the 10-second clacker goes on, Jose's going off with a big combo, the bell rings, then Jose lands a 1-2 and drops him after the bell, you know, everyone's going crazy, second round comes through, they're throwing big bombs, third round comes through, and Chad Mendes is landing a disgusting uppercut on Jose Aldo, you know, he faints it first, he kind of does a... Uh, you know, a way better version of the Ross Pearson uh, thing you were talking about earlier. Yes, you know what yeah, I'm saying? Yeah. A, a way more <laughs> athletic and explosive version of that, that uppercut. And, you know, then you saw, you know, we've always known Jose Otto's got amazing takedown defense, but I think if I had to show only one example of his takedown defense, I would show that part where where Chad Mendes takes him down, and Jose Aldo, so he moves his hips one way, and then mm-hmm. immediately he moves him the other way, gets right back up. I'm like, Jesus Christ, man, which that makes Max Holloway's performance that much more impressive to get on top of a guy like Jose. And it wasn't in the fifth round. It was in the third round, and Jose you know, was not able to get back up. So back to Chad and Jose. I mean, come on, man. You, you, you tip your cap to a fight like that. That could arguably be my number one pick. It's not because the, my number one pick is just – fucking epic beyond belief but this is my this is a top three right here man so aldo versus mendez too all day 100 percent, man i'm so glad you have this one on your list more than any other because i actually left it off my list this one is usually always on the list it kind of has to be and this for me is like my number two kind of nipping at the button at my number one almost right and justifiable you could put this as your number one and i don't think anybody could argue and i'm also glad you brought it up because i i, I talked about this fight in the last um for our 212 breakdown because, you know, we're breaking down Aldo versus Holloway and it's kind of inspired this left for us to do this list here. But, um, you know, when we're breaking that down, I felt like I, I took away from Aldo in some instances because there's really good examples. But just because I used some examples against him from this fight, that doesn't take away anything from this fight. You have to tip your cap to both guys because 
what I was referencing was uh, Aldo's politics. And even that, I'm still giving uh, Aldo credit. I'm not, you know, saying he's cheaper. And when I say he's a ruthless, round-winning politician, I'm not, I'm not talking shit on him. I'm not saying that as a negative. Like, that's a skill that some of the best fighters, John Jones and all these fighters, they all do. Like, all, look at all the greats. They are all ruthless motherfuckers. I mean, I love a nice guy as much as the next. I love traditional martial arts and all that respect stuff. Believe me, that goes high with me. Real is real and fighting is fighting and the bad motherfuckers are the guys who take every advantage possible. Like you said, even as a better from the other side of it, it, it it's about those wins at the end of the day. What says on the record, take a win by any means necessary, I believe you say, right, sir? And yes, Aldo, sir. the greats are the same way, man. The greats are the same way. And you see Mendez come out and, like you said, light Aldo up. Not only that, he was one of the first guys that was like not just one but like lighting Aldo up with his own leg kicks. It was insane. And you actually see Mendez kind of maybe possibly stun Aldo and definitely take momentum until uh, thankfully there's a low blow shot that uh, Aldo takes uh, takes his time on. He does the classic where you know the, the, the English-speaking ref goes up to them and the Brazilian. They don't pretend that they don't speak English. They just pretend they don't see the ref and they start walking to their corner blatantly while the ref chases them to say, hey, wait, come back here. Are you okay? Like, all these little tricks you see him do, all the tricks in the book, taking the time, you know, it comes back, and he comes back, what happens? He regains himself, he knocks Mendez down right away, takes the momentum back to the round, has Mendez on his heels until the quote-unquote late shot at the end. And again, I'm not hating on Aldo there, but like, that's what I pointed to. Like, it showed how savvy this guy is. How, oh, you're going to come out and, and pull one on me? Well, guess what? I can play the game better than you, son. And, and to Aldo's credit, you know, like we said, those, 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 those criticisms that he's been kind of shaking on and off since that Hominick fight about his gas tank, like, he went out and proved, you know, even though I still ended up picking, you know, against him Holloway, it doesn't matter. He went out and proved at that time, at least in 2015, that he, you can bring the fight to him as Chad Mendez, top of the division, and he is going to be there every step of the way. That is a classic fight, man. A hundred percent. I couldn't have said it better myself, man. All right. Well, the, t- tell me if this one fits under your class. This is a more of a sleeper one. This was early days of 145 for the UFC, but my number three, man, this is like your classic just – it feels like you're – there's those things where you're not just up out of your seat cheering in a fight, Daniel, but you know those fights where you feel like you are wob- you're on wobbly legs with a fighter? It doesn't matter if you're betting on the fighter or even rooting him. You could be betting against him, but you're just – you're so – the fight has so much drama. You've been sucked in, and you almost feel like you're taking the shots with them. Well, Matt Grice and Dennis Bermudez made me feel like I was on wobbly goddamn legs the whole time. I mean, Matt Grice, his own story – you know, again, you want to talk about after stories, looking at where guys go after the fact, makes this match all the more compelling. You know that guy hangs his head. Um, shout out. To Matt Grice, glad he survived his accident and is doing well, coaching fighters, still serving the community as a cop, I believe. But uh, man, Matt Grice was a mean motherfucker when he was down at 145, and he was facing Dennis Bermudez, the guy that I compare both in spirit and also in look to. He looks like those vintage, uh, uh, Roberto, he looks like vintage Roberto Duran from the from the late 70s, you know, like that that that. Especially you know Dennis Bermudez, he almost had that 70s shag haircut back then. Would get on the scale, ah, get all crazy and go into his fights and just bad defense and all, just. You know, throwing one, two leg kicks, and they were just going back and forth, man, dropping each other. That that was, a, I believe, a fight of the year candidate, if, if memory serves. You remember that one, Mr. Levy? Of course, but real quick, how'd you score that fight? I actually believe I scored it for Grice live, and I went back, and I could see how they scored it for Bermudez. So it was like one of those ones where I, I was in between. Live, I had Grice, I remember that, and then later I was more okay with it being for Bermudez. What about you? I mean, live, like, yeah, I think I agree with you. Live, I think I thought that Grice might have won, but maybe you rewatch. And I, I mean, I think it's one of those fights you rewatch 
a hundred times, you'll pick a different winner a hundred times. You yeah, know what I'm exactly. saying? It was yeah. such such an incredible war. And what made it so amazing was that everyone counted out Matt Grice going into mm-hmm. that fight. They were like, oh, they're just feeding this random you know guy to come in to lose to Dennis, you know, the hot prospect. And man, you know, he goes out there and drops Dennis a couple times. Then he gets dropped a couple times. And you know, Matt Grice is a guy that you know, when I have kids, I want them to look up to a guy like Matt Grice because not just in this fight, but obviously you mentioned that accent. This is a guy that is a hero. He can overcome adversity like no one's like no one's business. The Dennis Bermudez fight, that's you know an in the cage example. But then the accent, that's an, that's a real life example, man. I mean, like. A lot of dudes would have given up right then and there. You know, he could have he could have just gone to a different state, gone you know assisted suicide, gotten euthanasia, been like fuck this. You know what I'm saying? But you know, he was like, I got a wife, I got kids, I got the community, I got you know the whole sport of MMA's got my back. I'm not about to quit. And he you know worked on himself to the point where you know like you said, he's a cop, he's a coach, he's a role model. So Matt Grice is a guy that I think everyone should look up to, and that that fight that's a perfect example why. 100%. And how cool is that moment? I want to say it was when Dennis Bermudez was walking out to face Clay Guida, but you see Matt Grice, he's he's retired. He's, you know, the weight, he's, you know, he's retired, covered from the injury, but, you know, he's put some weight on, looks a bit different, but he's in the audience and he gives Dennis Bermudez, you know, interrupts his walkouts, side beats about midway through. It's not even where they're, you know, getting getting Vaseline up. It's like on the way out there, he beelines and, and sidebars to Matt, to Matt Grice to give him a hug. And it was just kind oh, of wow. cool to see them, like, have that moment. Um, and it's still on Fight Pass, I think, if, like, it's just one of the. You have to make sure you watch the version where it shows the entrance. But yeah, I, yeah. I, I can't remember what fight's been so long since I've actually seen that. But I remember seeing that. And it really warmed my heart, knowing the history of both those guys. But uh, man, great, great stuff. Uh, number two, I believe we're on. You, you're, you're kicking us off, sir. Korean Zombie versus Dustin Poirier. Woo! I mean, come, come on, man. You know what I'm saying? Uh, that's just one of those fights that you know going into it because you know we're going to talk about another Korean Zombie fight coming up, but. You know, going in this fight, in the pre-fight, and I love to watch the pre-fight talk, but I love it when they talk shit. I like it when they're respectful. I like it all, man, as long as they're not saying some dumb, cheesy bullshit. Even then, it's kind of funny sometimes. But look, in this fight, so Dustin in his pre-fight was like, Korean Zombie is known for his wars, and I want to be part of one of those crazy wars. I mean, that's what he said. So it's like, all right, as a fan, I'm like, perfect, great, cool. They go out there, and they had one of those wars, and it was just unbelievable. You know, the first round there, I don't want to say it was kind of slow. It was just kind of slow compared to the next three rounds. You know what I'm saying, man? That once they, I mean, you can just watch that fight start from the second round, and, you know, Korean Zombie's going for flying knees the way he's putting his combinations together. Then Dustin goes, you know, for a takedown. He gets that takedown. Then immediately Korean Zombie sweeps and oh, gets yeah. on top. And they're just slugging it out. You know, the bell rings for the end of the round. And Dustin Poirier, he's smiling at him with his, stung, with his tongue sticking out. And it was just one of those fights where, like, I'll watch it a hundred times in a row because it's so amazing. So that's my number two, Dustin Poirier versus the Korean Zombie. Dude, you legitimately gave me goosebumps just now just, just talking about that sequence. Like, that's how, that's how badass that sequence he's talking about, ladies and gentlemen. Go do yourself a favor. Even if you already know what he's talking about, go look at it again because, my goodness, it – it is so good, and I'm glad you put this one on your list, man. This is another one I left on my off my list, hoping you or at least the listeners would give it its due, um, because it definitely deserves to be on a top five list. But uh, but yeah, 100%. And I want to say, I mean, you might know better than me, Daniel. This 
maybe a second, third, but if not, one of the first uh, five rounders, right, that the UFC was officially started doing around this time, too. So it was just, the possibilities were endless. We didn't really get to go to championship rounds, but it felt like it. I mean, there was so much action that took place in, it, to, to, it took place into those first couple rounds that you just, you, you would have gone home happy if it would have ended even in two if it didn't go as long as it did. You know, it didn't have to go the five. Like, it was that good of action, man. I'm really glad, I'm really glad you had that one on there. Dan, was that the first um, five-round, you know, non-title fight in featherweight history, in featherweight UFC history? Yeah, I definitely want to say because the only fight that I'm thinking was the first five-rounder. I mean, I know, uh, you know, Shogun and what's the name had their light heavyweight one, but I think the first one was something random like Munoz and Lieben or something, right? Was no, that, that, was, that, was, that was the first one, but I'm saying oh, okay. featherweight. Featherweight. Yeah, it probably was the first featherweight then for sure because the only ones I remember them doing at the time were higher weight classes. Yeah. There you go. That well, makes sense. Wow, history there. Season. Oh, my God, it's such a good fight. Fucking A. All right, man. Well, my number two is something to me that's like another one that could be nipping for number one in my book. This is a this is a more low-key one. Um, I know someone else shares it, shares it with, uh, which we'll get to in a second. But this is one I always reference, man. This is, this is WEC. This is WEC 36, man. We are back in Canada for this one. And this is Mark Hominick versus Eve Jabwain. Now, uh, I, I'm not Canadian, and there's people that can speak on it from the Canadian scene more than me, but I know enough about the Canadian scene to know that Yves Jabouin and Mark Hominick were supposed to fight a couple of times. I mean, these were guys that, you know, throughout the Canadian organizations from TKO to onward, like, they were kind of dogs staring at each other from the other side of the fence. Two technical strikers. You know, Yves Jabouin didn't fare too well by the time, you know, uh, he, he, we saw him more in the UFC by that stage of his career, but... This was a, one of the most technical strikers from that scene, and this fight was supposed to happen, I believe, even for a title on the regional scene, and never did. Now, all of a sudden, you fast forward to WEC 36, which was a night, I mean, I, I should have pulled it up, but you can actually pull up that card, and there was a ton of good fights that night. So it stood out on a night where there were a ton of good fights, and this wasn't a headliner, but I, I just remember Eve Jablin coming out. I, I forget, he came out to like some kind of hip-hop thing. It didn't really catch me too much, but Mark Hominix did. He comes out to the final countdown. You can... You could say that's the cheesiest song ever, you know, it's a you know, that, 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 that cheesy 80s song, but man, coming from that whole karate movie, 80s background, karate in the 90s, there's certain fighters that I can tell came up from a similar school and grew up on the similar movies that I did, and as tough as these guys are, and as tough as, more tougher than I'll ever be, you can kind of see certain things like, hey man, we came from the same, we watched the same movies as a kid. You know, the same music, as cheesy as it is, it gets us pumped up, whether it's Sagano and his Rocky music, and as big as Sagano is, you can see the nine-year-old in him going, yeah, Rocky, you know? And you just see Mark Hominick, like, from a little, you know, coming out, again, Sean Tompkins is still alive at this point. You know, this is like, this is like 90s kickboxing, you know, uh, it felt like a 90s kickboxing match. It just didn't even feel like an MMA match. It just felt like a, a lighter weight K1 Canadian match or something like and these guys get in there and it's a back and forth technical scrap and it actually ends on the ground with a you know from a knockdown leading it to the ground and then you know Mark Hominick gets knocked down he almost looks like he goes flat for a second Eve Jabouin gets on top starts punching him Mark Hominick sweeps him from his guard and then punches him out from the mount and finishes the fight it was just this back and forth fight man it's just I suggest y'all go and watch it I know a lot of people probably haven't watched this one I will say it's it's an amazing fight WEC 36 Hominick Jabouin I mean, Dan, you don't got to be Canadian to appreciate a war like Mark <laughs> Hominick 
<laughs> Mark Hominick versus Eve Jabwen, man. I mean, you know, at the time, a lot of people don't remember, but I remember because, you know, I'm a hardcore WEC fan, man. But so Eve Jabwen was actually getting real hyped up by GSP. Like GSP was posting these videos like this is the fastest guy I've ever trained with. You know what I mean? And mm-hmm. that was back in the day when you'd go to UFC.com and you'd see those cool little preview videos. And it was I, I love that time of the sport, man. So I was already thinking like, wow, this is the fastest guy GSP has ever seen. Oh, my God. Right. And then Hominick's the technical striker. He's you know, the hometown hero and this and that. I mean, they're both hometown heroes, but more so Mark Hominick in that spot. And then that liver shot. My God, you cringe when you see that liver shot, son. I was just like, damn, like, like we're all like, we're like covering our mouths and shit. You know what I'm saying, man? Like that was a, that was a devastating liver shot, one that I'll never forget. And you know, this fight was on my honorable mentions, just like Bermudez versus Grice. So, 100% agree with you, man. It definitely should be on anyone's top 10, top 20 list for sure. Absolutely. I mean, my number five choice, Hominick versus Aldo. We probably wouldn't have been excited for Hominick if it wasn't for performances like that, where we're like, ooh, let's see what this guy can do to Aldo. And 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 yeah, it was it was built off performances like against Eve Jabouin, man, hundred percent. But man, that brings us to our number one choices. And I we by the way, folks, we don't we don't talk about our list beforehand. But me and Levy think we're on the same page here. And our number one, it's probably deserved if it is. So I'm going to go ahead and let the guests kick it off. What is your number one featherweight war, sir? Well, Dan, this is not only my number one featherweight war. This is my number one favorite fight oh, of all time. Geez. This is the fight that. Like, you know how I was kind of mentioning earlier, like, you know, if you got a friend that has never seen the sport before, you want to show them a fight to get them into the sport, you know, there's a couple you could go to, but this is the one I go to every single time. This is the fight that I show, you know, because my brother is not into this shit like I am. He's into other stuff, and I'm like, man, just just watch this, all right? And that fight is the Korean Zombie versus Leonard Garcia. I mean, come on, man. The first one, it was just, at you oh, yeah. know, WC48. When you talk about a war, you talk about Leonard Garcia versus the Korean Zombie. I mean, they literally stood up and banged for 15 minutes straight to the point where, like, you know, it felt like when I'm watching that shit on my couch, it felt like we were at the fucking, you know, the arena in Sacramento. You know what I'm saying, man? And the arena was so loud. I wasn't even there. The arena was so loud that Rogan on the broadcast is like, I can hear the people shaking the stands. Like, it it was insane, man. And then they go out there. They start swinging at each other. Then they start smiling at each other while they're swinging. And, you know, both guys get dropped. Both guys almost get tapped out. Both guys almost get knocked out. They both get up. They keep swinging until the final bell. Then they embrace, you know, like the two warriors that they are. That's my favorite fight of all time. I'm not going to say it's the best fight of all time because, you know, everyone is entitled to their opinion. But that's my favorite fight of all time. It's been my favorite fight of all time for, like, the last – seven years you know since it happened and it's gonna take something serious to to top that man wow man that's that that 100 percent 100 percent deserving for top five featherweight war and for best fight of all time um i'm glad we both have this and 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 you nailed i second everything you said 1000 percent and then some but uh, this fight for me i'll kind of come at it from a different angle where I'll, I'll, you know some some things make it on my list just because it might you know, this deserves to be on the list, but some things will make it on my list just because I have a certain like live memory of watching it attached to it that makes it special to me. And this one kind of has both. Obviously, it's a great fight that you just said deserve it to stand on its own. But I remember, you know, this is back in the hardcore fan days. Like you just you just said, we, we miss those days, right, Levy? We're just hardcore fans of the sport. There's so much to like about the sport then. So many crosses of, of, of different classes of fighters from the pride era of old to, to guys like Aldo that were coming onto the scene. And I remember going to a buddy's house and 
I didn't, you know, I, I didn't know these. I, I didn't know what these guys were into. They seemed like they weren't too much into MMA and more straight laced cats. They, uh, it was, I think we were going over there for a poker game, but I was just going to watch MMA all day. I was sitting by the couch and glued to the TV with maybe only a couple other people. Everybody else was kind of drinking, doing their own thing, partying a bit, playing cards. And this was, I compare it. This is my generation's because. Uh, I came in just after a tough one, okay? Like, that's when I started watching as, like, a hardcore. Like, it wasn't until Randy Couture beat Tim Sylvia to where I actually, like, knew fighters, weight classes, and was familiar, you know, and, ca- and kind of, you know, it, it casual enough. And that was out, that was just after, you know, um, tough one and tough two kind of era. So, I never had that Forrest Griffin, Stefan Bonner experience, but this is m- my generation of fans, Forrest Griffin, Griffin versus Stefan Bonner, in the sense of, I was literally not just watching this fight and going, oh, shit. Oh, shit. Because I knew Leonard, Leonard Garcia, but we, we didn't know much about Chan Sung Jung, the Korean zombie. And it just picks up like a little tornado, like that, that dust cloud in the cartoon where you see the foot and the fists going everywhere. And I literally just started nudging everybody in the room going, no, no, are you watching this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's fights, Dan. It's, yeah, no, no. Watch this shit. And eventually just kept doing it to everybody in the room to where everybody, the card game stopped. Everybody stopped and was watching this. I even remember, I think, even saying stuff, posting something on a... On a uh, Facebook at the time and going, hey, I'm tune in to, to to verses right now. Holy crap! Like I remember being that person, like going, everybody's watch this. This is insane. I can't believe what I'm seeing. And I, I've seen enough MMA at that point. I was I was a hardcore by that time, but I I could not believe it that I literally I could only imagine this is must be the stories that I heard or how people felt when they were watching that live first season of Tough where Forrest Griffin and Stephen Bonner went at it. You know that for me, that's my Forrest Griffin Stephen Bonner right there. And honestly, man, I think that the fight's ten times better than the Forrest Griffin versus yeah, Stefan Bonner. Oh yeah, hundred percent. And that's not that's not discrediting what no. Forrest and Stefan did at all. It's just being real with it, man. And also, you know, we talked about how they they slugged the way that they slugged. But what about that time when uh, Korean Zombie took his back? They had that nice little scramble on the mat. They're smiling at each other. They get back up and they start swinging again. It's just. I want I want to watch that fight as soon as we stop, man. Yeah, me too. The the, the one where they, they front flip forward off the back take. Yeah, oh exactly. Oh my god! Oh, it chills down my spine. Me too, man. Holy crap, man! That was awesome. Well, before we get to honorable mentions, we do have a couple people that submitted their list, so I just want to give them their due before we wrap it out and, and uh, get out of here. But do you have any closing thoughts on 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 that list we just laid down, Mister Levy? I mean, I think it's a pretty fucking bulletproof list, man. One hundred percent, I do too. Um, looks like uh, I'm just gonna give one one shout out here. For the list goes, uh, our man John John Rico here, listener of the show at John John Rico, he has Hominic Jabuin. I know he was with me on that one. Bermudas and Grice, Zombie versus Poirier, and then he says any mix of Curran, Strauss, and Pitbull fights. I'm glad someone mentioned those. Somebody gave some shine to Bellator there, but yeah, 100. percent um, Those Curran, Strauss, and Pitbull kind of. Uh, Three-way dances they've been shuffling for the last three or four five to five years have been have have produced some gems there for 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 old uh, uh, Bellator. Yeah, and uh, look out for my boy Emmanuel Sanchez. He's gonna be producing a lot of wars in years to come. One hundred percent. You want to talk about a list of the uh, their grown talent that they don't get credit for because we usually you know we follow the headlines of Bellator, but they uh, uh, you know under those legend fights or dad fights you want to call it they're growing talents and when it's a hit it's a hit it's like a michael chandler so i expect more from bellator from that end but uh man um honorable mention uh why don't you kick us off with the honorable mentions and, and, and name off a few and i've only got about a handful here to be honest so i'll, I'll go after you 
I only got two because you mentioned, you know, two of them in your in your list. You know, Bermudez, Grice, yep. and uh, th- there was one other, you know, Hominick Jabuen. But I'm going to go with Chad Mendes versus Conor McGregor, man, because, you know, at the time, it was one of those fights where, you know, Conor was supposed to fight Jose Aldo. We know Jose Aldo is this amazing striker, and, you know, Jose pulled out of the fight. So, you know, there's the, the famous story where Dana and Lorenzo walk into Conor's bedroom, and, you know, he's half asleep. They wake him up, and they're like, all right, man, do you want Chad Mendes or do you want Nate Diaz at 155? And Conor, like, apparently opens one eye, and he's like, they're all the same. So they end up giving him uh, Chad Mendez, and it was it was funny because the question always was, what's going to happen when Conor McGregor faces the American wrestler, man? You know, because people were acting like, oh, he's been, you know, he's been handpicked opponents, even though he had already beaten Max Holloway and Dustin Poirier at that at that point in his career. Let me add that, Dan. But you know, people had their questions. I never had my questions. Look, I'm a guy that bet. Conor McGregor against Chad, against Jose. And it, it sounds like not a big deal now, but it was a big deal at the time. Because at the time, people were, were counting out McGregor. They were sleeping on him like no one's business. He might have even been a dog or you know a, a very slight favorite in both of those fights. I don't remember the exact odds because you know we, we, we have a different card every fucking week, man. It's been a while. But I just remember those were some big plays at the time. But anyways, so McGregor goes out there against Mendes, the first you know American wrestler he's ever faced. And Dude, he got taken down right away. He throws a flying knee, gets taken down, and right then and there, we're like, oh, shit, what's going to happen now? You know, he starts getting ground and pounded on, and Connor starts talking to him from the bottom. He starts smiling. He's bleeding. It's no big deal. Then they get back up, and the way that he systematically broke him down with those body shots, those teep kicks, because he mentioned in his pre-fight talk that, you know, the way that Chad's built, you know, he can only go one round hard. That's that's what McGregor said, right? So McGregor basically emptied Mendez' gas tank with those teep kicks. And they're not just, you know, a little push kick. I'm talking about real teeps right in the spot, right where you, you know, you, you lose that air inside of you, man. You start getting tired, and then you eat that straight left down the pipe, and, you know, you take a seat. So, man, I, I love that fight. That's definitely one of my honorable mentions. And, you know, as far as Conor McGregor wars at featherweight, I think that's the top one. Oh, 100%. Uh, although arguably, which, you know, I don't want to say too much cause you're, you're, you're triggering some hipster picks here. But, uh, even though I feel McGregor, ironically, his best war is at welterweight, that is the best and only war I think you can point to as far as featherweight goes and, and worthy, a worthy mention there. Um, I'll just name a, a couple real quick. Uh, S- Stevens and Swanson was one I was hinting toward earlier, but I think Stevens is best, best, uh, performance that, that could earn him a spot on this was Stevens versus Bermudez. That was a classic fight. Um, as much as I love Holloway, he's another guy like McGregor who it's hard to say how much wars he has. I mean, technically, this last one could definitely qualify because Aldo had his moment in the first. But uh, I do like Holloway's fight versus Feely. I think people forget how how yeah. that, uh, Feely had actually some strong moments early. Came, oh, yeah. Not just came in with hype, but had his moments early, too. And, uh, oh, yeah. You know, classic third round finish from Holloway. So as far as that goes, but the, the, wait, the, damn. Oh, Hold yeah. Hold on. So, yeah, yeah, please. please. I, I, I got to say jump, a couple jump. things about that fight, yes. man. Because. You know, so obviously, you know, we, we I think we both picked Holloway last week against Aldo. But, yes. you know, one thing that people didn't mention was that Feely was actually the last guy to wobble Max Holloway. He like was, that yeah. first, I forget which one it was, but dude, he wobbled Max Holloway. I was like, damn, son, because, you know, Feely is no fucking slouch at all, man. He, he I mean, you saw his fight with Hakran Diaz. Now he's taking on the Korean Superboy, which is going to be a great fight. So, right. yeah, I think. Thoroughly enjoyed Max Holloway versus Andre Feely. Nice man. I'm glad you. I'm glad you dug that one as well. Um, 
I, I, I jotted down Faber versus Brown too, just because that I feel like for for Faber, even though it was a loss, you know, he was a, such a staple for featherweight and important. And even though he lost, I felt that was a great featherweight war because it's one of those where like, you know, he got iced by Brown in the first one, but even though he didn't, you know, uh, make it close to second fight, we just saw a fight where a guy's losing weapons and having the improv and just showing heart. And that was your classic Uriah Faber heart kind of a fight. So I felt like it should get a mention there. And then uh, all I had was Bectic versus Skelly, or not Bectic versus Skelly, uh, Bectic versus Elkins. And oh, yeah. uh, Skelly versus uh, Souza, I feel, is an underrated fight because Kevin Souza, I had Skelly in that one. I remember I even had him by sub, uh, was one of my was one of my prop plays for that card. And so I was sweating for sure because Souza, Kevin Souza had a little bit of hype coming in, you know, and uh, was was lighting Skelly up, rocked him. It almost looked like Dan Skelly fell down the same way Dan Henderson would fall later that night to Vitor Belfort, except Skelly was able to kind of get up, last-minute scramble, and, and, and recreate a, a, create a sequence of the scramble to get to the back. And I'll never forget it uh, because the, the drills that Skelly does, I, uh, I've, I've, I've had grappling coaches that have us do the same thing. At the end of practice, when you're tired, we'd have medicine balls and we'd go give rear, ch- rear naked chokes to the medicine balls when we're tired. And we would do, uh, you know, uh, figure four body triangles on the balls when we're tired and working our legs and our arms and working our squeeze for when we're absolutely tired. And that's what Skelly says he did in that post-fight interview. And he says, that's why I train because I'm just going to grab your neck. Even if you're defending it, doesn't care. I don't care. My squeeze is so strong. I'm going to sell out. It doesn't matter what the judges' scorecards say. I'm putting you out or I'm breaking something. And I'm like, God damn, that's what I want to hear from somebody that i bet on <laughs> dude i fucking love Chaz the scrapper skelly and you know he's actually on track to break the the ufc record for most submissions in featherweight history he Holy only shit. needs a couple yeah he only needs a couple more and he'll have that record man so i got a lot of respect for a guy like that you know you mentioned that fight with kevin souza and you know we need a we need to really emphasize how badly he got dropped in that first round because like I, like I've mentioned with a lot of other fighters you know many he had the opportunity to quit right there and then and we wouldn't have held it against him he would have still came back to the UFC that's how bad that knockdown was but the dude you know he's in side control he scrambles back up to his feet and then once it's time for him to lay you know his attack you saw what he did, man. He choked him out like a fucking snake. And then also, also, I know you didn't mean to mention this fight, but Skelly Bectic, that's a that's a great fight too, man. You yeah, know? yeah. Skelly, Skelly knocked out Bectic with a knee in the second round. It was, <laughs> yes, it, <laughs> it was an illegal knee, but hey, he's he still knocked him out, man. And then you know Bectic comes back and takes him down after that. I like that fight a lot too, man. Yeah, yeah. He went in there in short notice, and even though, like you said, it was an illegal knee, he showed holes in in Bectic's game that would later come to fruition, and, and the the match that I did mention. So yeah, they, they, there's definitely connectivity there, man. This was, this was fun as shit, man. Going through this list. Thank, thank, thank you, Daniel, for for coming on and 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 un- unpacking and unhashing this with me, man. Oh my God, thank you so much for having me, bro. As you know, one of my favorite podcasts. So it's an absolute honor to be on here. You know, a couple of fights we didn't mention, and I don't know if I'd consider this a war, but Aldo and Edgar, just to get that, you know, off my chest, that that was an incredible fight. Yeah. And then last last week, Holloway and Aldo went to war too, man. So, 100. you know, I, I love the featherweight division, man. And in years to come, like we mentioned, Jason Knight, but also Yair Rodriguez. There's so many. Got Henato Moicano, Brian oh, yeah. T-City Ortega. You just got to look out for the featherweight division. Some killer combinations there, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, I almost had a, an honorable mention Caceres versus uh, – 
versus Rodriguez too, man. So that was a five round fast paced war um, as well. But yeah, in altitude, in altitude, which is even more impressive. I mean, wow. So and there, like you said, there's plenty more to come. I can't wait, man. I can't wait to have an excuse to do this episode a couple years from now uh, over again because we'll probably have that much more in these in these rich divisions. But man, it, it's getting late. Um, thanks for coming on a preview in the UFC Auckland, and uh, thank everybody for listening. But before we get out of here, please, please. In case they missed the plug somehow at the beginning, in case for whatever reason they're not already subscribed and following, where can they find all your work and find you, Mr. Levy? Well, firstly, I want to thank all the fans of the Protect Your Neck podcast. Keep supporting this podcast. You know, I I appreciate you guys supporting Dan's podcast. You know what I'm saying? Good people, real content, real dude. Fuck yeah. Now, as far as I'm concerned, you can follow me on Twitter at Best Fight Picks. You can find my plays on bestfightpicks.com. My podcast, Half the Battle, is everywhere you can find podcasts. You know, iTunes, Stitcher, YouTube, SoundCloud. Half the Battle, once again, is what it's called. Best Fight Picks on Twitter. And I mean, on the show, listen, I give out my bets, my picks. We break down the fights. But also, I got exciting fighters on. And, you know, my one thing is, you know, because some people will interview any and every fighter. And, and I appreciate that because I do think that everyone's voice needs to get out there. But I'm kind of picky. I only talk to entertaining fighters. You know what I'm saying? So if you want exciting guys that come to fight, you want to hear about their mindset, the in-depth story, come check out Half the Battle. Dan, thanks so much for the time as always, brother. Thanks for having me, man. No worries. And I, I second that 100%. Guys like James Vick or Damian Brown, I've learned more about that I've, you know, and I'm a guy who actually will go and watch these guys' interviews at other places. And I've learned more and become uh, fans of certain guys like that because, again, you kind of have that, you, you kind of have that, that, that vibe with them. It's not just about the breaking down the fights, man. I paid, you know, you, you your props. So before we started here off camera about the interviews, and I'll second that, you know, right here again. And again, people, uh, thank you again for supporting me. And, and you know, those, the, I saw some new uh, five star reviews come in as well. But, uh, spread those as well. So if you're subscribed or you haven't subscribed yet, go go listen to Half the Battle. Go listen to their breakdown for, for, for UFC Auckland. If that doesn't help you, then don't give them a review. But I guarantee you it will help you. So be kind with those reviews. Spread them around. Um, I'm, I'm not the best business person, but, man, it really does help with the algorithm stuff. And it's not just bullshit, not just because he's on my show. You've heard me say it before on this show. Half the Battle is one of those podcasts that's on my reference list, and it should be on yours. Again, it's not about um, agreeing with – I don't want you anybody to agree with me, and I'm not telling you you have to agree with Daniel, but I'm telling you, you have to recognize good references when they're there. And uh, not only does Daniel provide that, but shout out to the other people on his show as well. He gets other views on there and other dynamics from fantasy to just different personalities and, and, and viewpoints, and that's what you need um, if you want to play these picks, whether you're doing it for fun, fantasy, or betting. Just, just add it to your reference, folks. All right, well, that's it. We're going to get out of here. Uh, follow me at the MM Analyst, the podcast, you know, uh, at the PYM Podcast. Hashtag Protect Your Neck Podcast to submit any future top five lists you want to see tackled in the future. Um, any questions? Uh, I don't think I'll be doing a post thing because I'll be on a boat on Sunday with my man Brian, who you, you've heard here on the after parties. I will be back, though, um, and I should have a regular breakdown again for the uh, home Cohea card uh, next week. So I probably won't see you guys till next week. Until then, uh, Don't underestimate the waters. Watch out for sharks. Watch out for poisonous animals. And until next time, protect your neck.